guys. Welcome to episode 11 of the Harmonix Community Podcast. Today on the show, we have HMX Henry sitting down with Harmonix alum Brett Rouse to talk about what it's like to be a non-musician at Harmonix. Then we'll listen to part two of HMX Pope's interview with lead designer Dan Teasdale, where Dan answers your questions, including just exactly what awesomeness detection really is. And finally, we'll wrap things up by letting you know what's coming up next week for Rock Band DLC. All right, hey guys, this is HMX Henry. I'm here with HMX Pope and uh, an HMX alum, Brett Rouse. Um, we're uh, yeah, yay! <laughs> uh, we're uh, we're here to uh, mostly to talk to Brett um, to get kind of uh, unique uh, perspective um, on kind of a harmonics culture. Uh, as a lot of you may know, a lot of us here um, are musicians. Um, and, uh, and a lot of people are in bands and a lot of people, you know, like check out a lot of live shows and it, like musical culture is a, a very big part of the company. Um, and, uh, and Brett and I, from a recent discussion, uh, I learned that that is not the case with everyone nope. uh, at Harmonix. Um, so Brett, uh, why do you hate music? <clears throat> Killed my father. <laughs> no, uh, I don't hate music. I'm just terrible at playing music, not for lack of trying. Uh, after I played Guitar Hero 2, it was before I was working here, I actually started taking guitar lessons, but I can play like three songs. What what three songs are those? Uh, I can play More Than Words by Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> Do you sing it while you play it? I can't sing and play it. I haven't mastered that technique yet. Uh, Ziggy Stardust. Oh, sweet. And there's a Collective Soul song. Uh, <laughs> December, I think. Don't I was counting crows that I was singing. No, that's yeah. definitely counting souls. Counting souls. Count <laughs> souls. It's a new. It's a hybrid band. Yeah, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Ah. No, but I mean, you went for the big hits. Like, if you're gonna yeah. learn how to play guitar, I might as well start at the top. I took uh, drum lessons in middle school. With my friend Dave, who got kicked out because we talked too much during the lessons. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so so you've put in like you've put in minimal the, effort you've put in the effort like minimal i mean you've already you've already got got a leg up on me like i've never taken any kind of like music lessons um i learned recorder in elementary school but i think that's kind of standard that's well, yeah i mean not like, a, like a tape a flute, recorder right? yeah yeah flutophone some people call it um <laughs> nobody calls it that no some people call it a flutophone that's i didn't just make that up yeah all right. Sorry. Um, I think well, a big, big part of it is a complete lack of rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not for it's not for lack of interest. Like, like you'd like to be able to play music. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to be able to play music. You know, speak twelve languages. Uh, know kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fly airplanes. And stuff is it like that. is it lack of rhythm that's <laughs> preventing you from doing all of those things? I think it's lack of dedication. <laughs> so. So that's that's kind of an interesting an interesting counterpoint to HMX Pope, uh, who is quite the dedicated musician. That, that's 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 completely blown true. completely out of proportion. <laughs> uh, I play guitar, uh, pretty pretty basic. I can uh, I can hold my own on rhythm guitar. If you ask me to play a solo, I would cry. Oh, I can play "Wish You Were Here" by Pink Floyd. 
Nice. Including the solo. Wow. That was the first time I learned when I took lessons. Nice. So, tables have turned. Yeah, Brett's got a leg up. Brett is a better musician than yeah. you are. It's something about it, though. I'm like playing the notes, but it always sounds terrible. Like, I'll yeah. play it, same and then here. I give it to my friend, and he plays the same thing. It's just. What's I, going on? Yeah, I've know? I've heard I've heard this this phrase bandied about quite a bit at harmonics. The uh, you're playing it, but you're not feeling it. Right. I guess I wasn't high when I was playing <laughs> it. That might have been the problem. Maybe. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's a prerequisite to play any instrument, but I don't play any instrument, so I don't know. What about kazoo? Um, I yeah, I could play the kazoo. We should um, start a kazoo band. <laughs> a, a three kazoo band. Do yeah. they make like a bass kazoo? Do they make different? They make electric kazoos, <laughs> which you could probably do whatever you could make like a bass. Awesome. This this interview is not going the way I expected it to at all. Like Brett is completely fluent in like all manner of kazoos, <laughs> and he can play all of "Wish You Were Here," including the solo. <laughs> That's no, I really ridiculous. can't play music though. Like I can't hear something and play it, or right. be given. Yeah, no. I need to like read the tablature for three weeks, and then I can. You might be able to recognize it when I play, maybe. <laughs> but how about how about rock band? Like you're pretty good at rock band. Yeah, uh, until I worked here though, I couldn't play on anything above medium. But yeah. Playing it for eight hours a day will do that. Yeah, I think well. that's that's fair. That kind of immersion. Um, spoiler: uh, you have to know how to play rock band if you work at harmonics. It's kind of it's kind of forced on you I think yeah at one point or another you'll, yeah. you'll get thrown I mean it was literally like my first entire week was like 40 hours in the star chamber you played it before I had, ne- I had not played any rhythm based music game like I was still rocking an NES and uh and were you QA when you started no it's community and you were 40 hours in the star chamber because oh, I didn't have a computer yeah yeah and, and because we have to play in front of people yeah, it's yeah. like you should probably know what you're yeah. doing if you're going to answer support emails like in hindsight Sean should not have hired me based on my minimal <laughs> knowledge of the game that I was going to be answering support questions reasons. about or going on the road to promote. Um, yeah, so thanks, Sean. But it's a good thing he did. I guess. Yeah, where would we be if he hadn't hired you? We would not be listening to this podcast right now, or at least this segment. Someone else would be doing the podcast, I bet. That's true. It's kind of depressing. Yeah. So minimal impact. Yeah. Your, your carbon footprint on harmonics slim yeah it's um but i invited brett here for this interview yeah brett's got a huge carbon footprint yeah yeah Yeah. i have to work every day my name is aaron i'm so awesome i know a power chord this is a power chord my name is aaron and i'm so awesome i know a power chord this is a power chord Here's a big question that everyone wants to know. In Rock Band 2, Mm -hmm. uh, there was something implemented called awesomeness detection. Yes. Would you like to divulge, after all this time, what awesomeness detection is? And uh, what's the idea behind it? Uh, it's been a year and a half. I think yeah. I think it's I think it's fine to talk about what awesomeness detection is. And I, I think actually people have discovered what it does actually. <laughs> uh, so the genesis for awesomeness detection was uh, we were working on Rock Band Two, and it was actually one of those QA meetings you yep. were talking about, where it was, it was uh, design team and the QA team talking through stuff. 
and we just implemented the modifier system and uh, were coming up with like various things we could do. And somehow the idea came up was what if we just had a modifier that did nothing and just was there and we had people tried to guess what it would do. And it was like, that's amazing. <laughs> and so we spent, uh, we spent like, I think I spent two minutes putting it in, like just defining <laughs> it in like our, in our code for modifiers and putting like the, the string tokens in and things like that and left it there. And it's like, you know, worst case, you know, no one cares. Best case, you know, we'll we'll see like what the, the placebo effect that people have by turning on a modifier <laughs> and like seeing what it does. Um, and then, so we shipped it and then it took on this life of its own. Like, I remember reading like one of the first threads like on roughband.com about it and people were like, yeah, it improved my, uh, improved my singing a lot. Like I was, I was getting like way better vocal scores now. And like people were debating it changed like timing windows and things like that. And all of like these things that people... Uh, someone said like it did better lag calibration and like they felt that their lag calibration was improved by turning on <laughs> awesomeness detection um but yeah it was all like it was all like this awesome way like part of it was just us being complete dicks but the <laughs> other half of it was was seeing like all of the things like people consider like placebos when they do right. all this stuff and like there was it was it was amazing and then eventually uh we released the ps2 version and i remember someone like someone was like hacking the PS2 version and they found out it did nothing. And then no one believed that it did nothing. It had built up this, like, this huge reputation that they were like, no, here's the file where it's being defined and it does nothing. And they're like, no, you're crazy. You're not looking in the right place. And clearly they've hidden this well enough. But uh, yeah, awesomeness detection does nothing. But it's always fun to turn on when you turn it on around people that don't. And I bet you at least one person will hear this podcast and say, He's just saying that. It actually does do Yeah, this. no, it, this is a big conspiracy. <laughs> like, I, I'm telling people it does nothing, so that you'll turn on thinking it does nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think if we, like, it, I mean, awesome, det- awesome Detection is a core part of Rock Band now that I think, uh, you know, whatever projects we do in the future, I, I, we're going to have to put awesome Detection in, but I think we'll have to change up what it does next time. Yeah, maybe yeah. actually give it a use, maybe. Spend time on it, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's do a bit of a lightning round now. We got a number of questions from our forums, and I think the kids would like it if they saw their questions asked. Absolutely. Um, We did get some good questions, so let's go. Uh, Dady5000 wants to know, how many years did it actually take to get Rock Band moving from idea to fruition? From idea to fruition. So it's probably about, let me do the math in my head. We... We started pre-production in early 2006, and we shipped end of 2007. Uh, so it's like 18 months to two years. Uh, there was probably like a bit, a bit of sort of inspiration before that. Uh, like in general, though, like it, it kind of fits like Harmonic's core tenets of like uh, having non-musicians experience music. So like in, in that sense, it's been 14 years or however long Harmonix has been around. Right. But it was about it was about two years ago. It was about uh, I think it was like eight months of pre-production and then a bunch of development after that. Uh, but yeah, it was like in terms of game development times, it was a pretty quick project. Rathy wanted to know, uh, why did Harmonix take Rock Band in a more sophisticated, mature um, style of graphics over what the pr- we'd done the previous Guitar Hero titles, which are somewhat cartoony? Um, was it a, a you needed to set the series apart from it? It was. Um, I mean, it was a little bit of wanting to set it apart of like you know wanting to make something that was unique and something that. Uh, like felt like its own its own sort of property. Uh, a lot of it though was just this authentic feel. Like we wanted people to uh, to feel like they were being awesome musicians on a stage, kind of like the Who video. 
and uh like going into like a more cartoony vibe you end up like laughing at the game and, like going like very sort of it was more spinal tap that way rather than almost famous right. uh and we we wanted that really authentic vibe and it was something we totally struggled with for a while as well uh like there was this feature we ended up cutting from rock band one which was uh uh sort of answering machine messages when you were coming back from a gig uh, in the band world tour so you'd play a gig you'd come back and you'd have a message from your mom on your answering machine or your your band manager like telling you that you know some video game wanted you to record your music for them or things like that and they it was like this sort of very clear thing where it just didn't fit with the with the sense that you were awesome like you'd go play this arena and like everyone would be cheering and you'd come back and you'd have a message from your mom telling you that your laundry was ready like it was <laughs> it, it it didn't really fit <laughs> but yeah it's this whole we just wanted this authentic vibe and like a lot of that sort of drove into providing a, a little more realistic not super realistic and not like yep. you know like uncanny valley-esque lifelike stuff but like a more more genuine i guess for lack of a better term yeah okay um flawless says i'd be interested in knowing the process of how the team comes up with the on-disc set lists um does design have any uh role in the choosing of the set list for our games uh we have a little bit of a say it's mainly on the audio team and like the project lead and things like that uh, we have a, a news group that everyone posts into. We have, of course, the rockband.com song suggestions uh, list where we, we take sort of trends out of that and, and figure out how to balance our sort of content based on that. But a lot of it is that audio has this huge master list of thousands of songs and we request licenses for it. Some comes back. Uh, we put some in the game. Some songs work. Some songs don't work. Uh, and then we'll, that's often where sort of design gets involved and we'll say, you know, this song is, is terrible. We can't ship this in the game or, uh, you know, this song is amazing. We have to, you know, do we put it on DLC? Do we put it on disc? Like, how does it fit in terms of the structure of the game? And so like a lot of those decisions in terms of structure and balance, uh, is where the design team comes in and, and helps out with, uh, uh, not just which songs go on disc, but also positioning on uh, difficulty. But, uh, in terms of, uh, like the master list, uh, that's all like Eric Brosis and, uh, and Heather and all of those guys. Kiggity Kev wants to know why Spec hasn't released their bootleg sensation Casey Malone and Casey Malone story to the world yet. I don't think the world is ready for Casey Malone, a Casey Malone story. <laughs> like for a bit of backstory for everyone who doesn't know what's going on here, uh, there's a there's a guy in my team called Casey Malone. He's a he's a great guy. He's HMX Casey on Twitter. Uh, he uh, he wears headphones a lot of the time, so I'll, I'll want to chat with him about something, and he'll be like, his desk will be beside me, or like he's like, kind of off to the side now, and I'll wave or I'll say something, and he won't say anything. And I have uh, I have a bass next to my desk, and so I, I started just picking up my bass and just singing like a song to him, it's like Casey Malone, <laughs> and uh, for some reason it like triggers, and like he takes off his headphones and he'll talk to me about something, and so it became this thing, and it just got bigger and bigger over time like we were in the uh we'd moved over to our new offices and we're trying to get him to take his headphones off and he didn't hear and it ended up with uh me playing on bass while uh helen helen from uh, the giant is playing on guitar and uh sylvan who's like another designer is like playing on his guitar like this huge like thing uh and like playing the song and then it kind of got to the point where one day I was, I was sitting at home one weekend and Casey was tweeting about something, as is his want to do. Yes. Uh, and uh, I was like, I just need to get his attention. Or I forget why I did it now. But I was like, I just need to record Casey Malone in like five <laughs> minutes. So like I fired up GarageBand, threw some crappy samples in, sung into a laptop speaker, exported it out to like the Star Wars crawl on YouTube <laughs> and, uh, and sent it to him. And that was that. And I thought that was going to be the end of it. 
and then I went, when RBN happened, and so like we we were authoring songs for Spec, and we we have you know Grumpy Town and VP of Booty Reports up uh, for sale when that goes live, and that was not a shameless plug at all. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I have a friend who was wanting to learn how to author RBN songs, and we hadn't put up the uh, Jonathan Colton sample yet. So I was like, oh, I'll just you know get the Casey Malone song. We already have stems separate out for, separated out for it, and so I, I authored the song in like an hour and sent it to my friend, and then realized. Uh, it would be like a good example to give everyone. So I chucked mm-hmm. it up on my blog and uh, like basically put all the stems out so people could check out how it all works. And then someone else made, uh, was it the I Wet My Pants song? Casey Malone Wet My Pants. Which was the remix of I Wet My Pants and Casey Malone. Yeah. And it's, and those got mixed into a song and then this became this huge, massive thing. And now like it's getting to the point where I'm seriously considering writing a real Casey Malone song and, <laughs> and uh, it's like putting it out there. But... It's it's kind of scary how this is steamrolled. He's the muse of the world. He he, he is he is the embodiment of uh, harmonics. <laughs> T Hybrid wants to know when deciding on a scoring system, how are things like point values decided on? For example, why is the base score of the note fifty points instead of a hundred? There's there's a bunch of reasons why we balance the way we do. A lot of it is just feel. Um, so like the the reason our points are like they are right now. Uh, is because we want we had this goal of a million points being great for a band, which kind of split down to two hundred fifty thousand points per roll if you're in a four player band. Yep. Um, and so to get that, we needed to have uh, our point values uh, be higher than we previously had. So I think they're up to like fifty points now, um, and like fifty points across you know four or five minute song gives you roughly around that amount. Of course, it, you know, it fluctuates a lot. But a lot of it was like this visceral feeling of like that million point barrier and crashing through a million points as a big band. Uh, and then everything else kind of scales off there. Like we'll, we'll balance the solo bonuses so that they don't overbalance or we'll balance the, the multipliers for overdrive. It's a great example. We originally, uh, in early builds of Rock Band, that, uh, that stacked all the way up. So it went uh, two, four, oh, how it went up but the, the end point it was up to was a 128x multiplier oh across everything and so like if you've got everyone playing at once your points are just like jack up to like 40 million or something um which led to kind of a weird awkward thing where some of those scores actually got into the official strategy guide for the original rock band oh wow <laughs> uh, so if you're wondering why you can't beat those scores it's because of some uh, screwed up multipliers <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just is trying to figure out what what kind of uh, what feels right to the player. I guess like it's a little sort of hand wavy, touchy feely kind of stuff, but it's all about sort of making f- people feel awesome and overpowered when they go through and do stuff. And that's it's uh, it's kind of our philosophy as we're going through, is just to make people feel awesome. Cool. Hey, Riles wants to know how many licks does it take for Dan Teasdale to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? I. As an Australian, I have not got to the end of a Tootsie Pot roll. <laughs> I throw the question back at you, Eric Pope. I actually have a bunch of questions that I picked from the forums oh, God. directed at me that I'm going to pose to you Great. and ask you to answer, and that is one of them. <laughs> How many licks to the uh, center of a Tootsie Pot roll? Um, I've honestly never licked to the center of a Tootsie Pop. I uh, like the owl in the commercials of old. I uh, lick a few times, and then I bite it, and yeah. I crack into the middle. So I'll say somewhere around 20 to 50 licks, and then a bite. That's 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 a number. I, yeah. I I wish I had some context what this yeah. means, but uh, yeah, I and that's a complete guess. Yeah. It's probably more like two hundred licks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I I guess like the whole licking concept, like you you have well, it, you have it open air and you're sticking your tongue out. Like, yeah, no does, one does that. No one does that. Like you, you suck you, on it. You suck on it. You chuck it in your mouth and you leave it there for like five or ten minutes. Like I'm guessing it's like a chubba chup or something like that. Right? A what? <laughs> Do you guys have chubba chups? Chubba chup? 
I'm, I'm guessing you're it's making a, this up. No, there's like in, in Australia we have chubba chops. Which and are like, Tim Tams. And... It's like this stick, and then it has like this bowl of like sugar candy stuff, and they come in like flavors like cola yes, and things like that. Yes, it's a lollipop. It's, well, it's, well, it's not like a like a lollipop. It's not like the English dandy lollipop where it's like the the circle with the red and white. I'm not cleaning chimneys or anything. That's true. It, it's. I, I'm guessing it's. I'm guessing it's similar to that. In which case, I would say you know, five minutes, but I'd crack it pretty right. quickly. Yeah. Some parts of the country, they, they actually call Tootsie Pops suckers, which makes a lot of sense because you, suck liquid, yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. lick them. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of difficulty tiering, it's got to be hard to do that for vocals. Like for guitar, drums, it's, it's, it's a little easier because there's you know X amount of notes you have to hit and you have to hit them at a certain speed. But for mm-hmm. vocals... It's a little less straightforward, I would think. How do you how do you do it? It's it's tricky because a lot of the a lot of your ability to perform on vocals is knowing the song, and so we end up actually biasing a lot of vocal songs on the sort of the well knownness, for example. Like Shackles Revenge is the classic example where it's it's not too hard, but nobody had heard it before Rap Two came out, so it pushed the like difficulty way up. And then there's other cases where they're like naturally hard, like Boston or Queen yeah. or things like that, where like you're you're never going to sing like Freddie Mercury. So we right. we have to you know treat it to compensate, but you're never going to hit. Sorry know. to break it to you, kids. Yeah, I, it's, someone <laughs> had to tell you eventually. But it's I, it's one of those things where like vocals is like, and it happens in a lot of our mechanics as well. It's a more experiential thing, and it doesn't integrate as cleanly into other models of gameplay for like drums and guitar and bass. Um, but yeah, it, it becomes this thing of trying to sort of uh get across uh the experience i guess cool um how many versions of the ui and the scrolling screen did you go through before you decided on what you currently see oh god A too lot. many yeah. way too many uh i don't think you could count like there's we had so <laughs> many different versions and you can kind of track it as well like if you look at like if you look at e3 footage from rock band one to shipping footage of rock band one um like there was like three months in between that and there was like at least two or three dozen revisions through that point i think there's like some leaked footage from like uh from like an mtv conference it was like three months before that and it was completely different like a lot of it is is like this iteration stuff is like going through and like trying to boil everything down to its concise thing and having like insane like like hour-long arguments about whether to move the uh, edges of a note in or out a couple of pixels to donate a hopo or things like that like it's uh, there's there's a lot of attention on there. I I can't even start counting how many revisions we had on that. But it's a lot. <laughs> it, it's it's at least three digits. Wow. Um, has you, uh, Alvarado six four one one wants to know has your favorite band or song made it into rock band already? If so, what is it? Uh, for a while it was ACDC. I really wanted ACDC in the game, and of course we you know, got the ACDC track pack, which was like ACDC overload. Yeah, like, it, it was. It was really satisfying to have Let There Be Rock on the Rock Band 2 disc because of that. Um, for a while, obviously, the Beatles. Like, yes. Completely iconic band, The Who. Yep. Um, there's probably still some bands I'd like to see. Like, I'd love it if the greats got into Rock Band, either through RBN or through Proper. Um, there's like a bunch of Australian bands like that. Um, but, I mean, this is a nice thing about having this huge library. It's like a lot of bands that three years ago I thought would never, ever be in a Rock Band title, like ACDC and The Beatles. Are in are in rock band now, yeah. and so like I my my list is rapidly shortening, and unfortunately I can't tell you other people because then I'd be spoiling things. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, one song that I know is one of your favorites and is polarizing for just about everybody, both in the company and on oh our forums. Oh, God. Is this about Cool for Cats? Cool for Cats. Cool but for cats. I got to say, I'm with you. Cool for Cats is a cool great for, song. Cool for Cats is easily one of the top ten songs on the Rock Band 2 there. Yeah. It's, it's, if you have no soul if you hate Cool for Cats. I agree. I, I wish every battle was Cool for Cats. <laughs> and I wish every song in our game was a squeeze song. Like <laughs> That song's so fun to sing. I don't know what people's problem with it is. I think people just... I think America... It's an American English rivalry. Like, I That's think, true. I think Americans hate the Commonwealth. They have some deep-seated issue <laughs> where, you know, they kicked the Commonwealth out, what, 200-odd years ago, and they realized they made a mistake, and they want to atone <laughs> for it. But they, they, want to, they want to be a bit more aggressive and, like, play hard to get. It's like, oh, I don't need the Commonwealth. Queen, sure. <laughs> but... No, I, I think it, I think it really the genesis for why people hate Cool for Cats really stems from the Boston Tea Party. Yeah, yeah. and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. PK Sage wants to know if there are places we could go the industry on, as a whole um, with DLC and the internet that they haven't yet. PK Sage, who I might add is a champ. I've met him a number of times oh, now. Really? He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, I think there are a number of great places we can go with DLC. I mean, obviously, the biggest one is separating content from design, like. If we could just stop shovelware titles and stopping people like pushing out, you know, X sports game just for roster updates and things like that, that would be great. Like I, I'm actually having said that, I'm totally enjoying FIFA 10. Like they totally <laughs> like. I'm glad to see FIFA has a soul finally, which is great. <laughs> um, I think that, like the there's one way that could come up is like this whole uh, this whole used games versus real games debate, which I actually have a bone to pick on about this. Is I I keep seeing these news articles where people are like, oh. Uh, one and a half million people played uh, Dead Space. Oh, no, 100, 100, one and a half million people bought Dead Space, but three million people played it. Mm-hmm. And they they used this as an example of used game sales and like people saying, oh, people are just buying the used copy. Mm. But it, it ties into the story, which I kind of touched on in my speech, but didn't actually come to the end of, and so people don't really know about it. But we, uh, we did all of our achievement mining on Rock Band 1, and we... Uh, we went through and saw that, like, just picking a random number, I don't think this is the actual number, but it was like, in the first month, uh, 600,000 people got the drums achievement in Rock Band, but we only sold 350,000 drums. And it, these, these numbers that are coming back, like, people aren't, uh, like, there's no physical way for people to pirate our drum set and, right. you know, torrent our drum set. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a sign that the data that's coming back isn't really uh, good data that you can rely on for used game sales. And it's because all this data coming back is unique profiles. It's not unique consoles. And it's like the same reason why you have you know, three profiles in the original Zelda is that multiple people in the same household are playing the game. And so my hunch is that a lot of these numbers you're seeing back is actually multiple people playing in the same household playing the same game and not actually used game sales. Right. Which then cuts into this argument of like the Mass Effect style or the Dragon Age style uh, DLC tokens because... Uh, while it'll stop you reselling it, it's not going to stop someone else in your house playing the game because they can still play this content. Yep. Um, and so that's my that's my hunch and my controversial statement for uh, <laughs> for this podcast is that I think analysts are uh, maybe not analyzing this data correctly. Yeah. By going getting off my my soapbox <laughs> and getting back to the actual question you asked me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think downloadable content is the future. Like being able to being able to make like a design platform. And a content platform and have them evolve over time uh, is going to be massive. Like when I can when I can sit in my home and like build um, the cars I want to play in Forza or 
I've, okay, this is another side topic I'm going uh-huh. off of. Go ahead. I've been saying Forza for the last whatever, how many years, and then they have this E3 press conference where it's like, Forza. <laughs> what the? F- <laughs> what? I'm not, you want me to change how I said It's Forza. I'm going to call it Forza. I'm sorry, Turn 10. I'm calling it Forza from now on. I think the people of Italy might have might, might take issue with that. If Turn 10 was in Italy, I would be <laughs> fine with that. But as someone who's been trained to say Forza, I'm... You know, I'm. I that's it. I'm, I'm, I I can't even finish that sentence. Fair enough. But <laughs> not derailing again. <laughs> DLC is great, is what I'm trying to say, and I I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to see people do not just like the usual like here is X armor or here is X you know levels, but like really interesting things with DLC. Like I don't think we've. Uh, I think we've just scratched the surface of like some of the cool things we can do with DLC. Yeah, we haven't really seen much in the way of people changing development patterns to yeah. to to focus more on the DLC aspect of things. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that people can do. Um, I, I I just can't wait to see it. Hey, Riles wants to know what is your Man, favorite. Ti- hey, Riles is dominating. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, he has some good questions. <laughs> um, he wants to know what is your favorite tiny little design implementation that nobody really notices in the games, but you love to talk about. I think one of the big things that I like, but no one really notices, uh, is that all of our game modes, uh, give or take like a couple that don't make any sense, uh, is playable like one to four players, local and online which is really hard to do. Like, this is having this whole sort of single-player, multiplayer, Xbox Live, local split. Like, it doesn't make sense a lot of the time. Like, our game modes are the same. Like, Banwell Tour is going to be the same Banwell Tour whether you have one person playing locally or four people playing online. And, like, going for that thing has been super hard. Like, trying to get, like, the way, the way, like, Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo, those guys implement online isn't really conductive to people, like, going from a local session to an online session and then back again. And so one of the things that's like had the most amount of work for it with no one noticing it, and that's kind of a good thing that no one notices, is that whole local online split. Like the fact that the worst complaints we get back is you know, people getting confused in matchmaking or people like smashing on the drums and going back. Like if, if that's the worst, then I'm kind of proud of all of the, the, the work that no one sees under that, like the huge True. iceberg of, of crazy network uh, resolving stuff. That's true. And we have a huge team here that deals just with the network side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cool. besides that, also, the fact that you have your mom is horrible stuff in Rock Band 2. <laughs> I, I am really glad that made it through. <laughs> Did your mom like that? Uh, oh, God, I think you're about to hit another question. Oh, no. <laughs> My mom is still in Australia. Oh, no. <laughs> we love Australia. Actually, I had a bunch of questions I saw in there that I, I kind of wanted to answer sure. as well because there's, there's some actually interesting stories behind okay. them. Uh, let me go through my question list. Um, someone asked about the drums layout and why we colored the drums uh, that way, and there's actually a really interesting story behind it. Um, this was actually a, when we were making the drums for the first time, we were trying to figure out how people would navigate around, and we had the, obviously the D-pad and the face buttons, but we wanted to see if we can maintain like the guitar-style navigation. Um, and for a long time, the drum mappings were actually uh, red... Oh, no, it was uh, yellow, blue... Uh, red green so scrolling was on the left two pads and then confirm cancel on the right two pads and I ended up pushing for a change which is the change you see now which is uh, red yellow blue green uh, and the reason I wanted that is because I wanted to get some kind of um, it's like continual like space of navigation so the way it, it maps from left to right is previous screen previous item next item next screen so whenever you're traveling through the flow 
it's kind of like the the shuttle on like a tape player where you have you know play in like fast forward and back right so you're always whenever you're seeing the interface you're seeing it as like how quickly you're navigating through the interface you have the micro stuff in the middle the bigger stuff out the back and then that drove the colors because you know, green had to be confirmed red had to be canceled um and the, in the middle ones we wanted to make the hi-hat the yellow obviously because it's reflecting a symbol um and that's kind of how we came up with our color scheme and then we ended up sort of Getting uh, working with Microsoft and getting them to adapt that as their drum controller standard, which is why uh, a lot of drum kits now also follow the same pattern. It's because they're sort of going from that part, which is really cool. Um, what else we got here? We already answered the Tootsie Roll question. <laughs> um, there are a bunch of questions about like why we cut Solo Tour from Rock Band One, right? Um, and a lot of it sort of rolls into the stuff we were talking about earlier uh, about uh, sort of figuring out how to sort of reactive community and also expand for what's going on. And so a lot of the reason we, we shifted from like the linear set list model uh, was, was content reasons. Like we have a thousand, however many songs on DLC. Like if we had the, the downloaded section from Rock Band 1 of songs, like no one's going to want to scroll through a, a thousand songs. And we also had problems like the, the Visions problem or Freya or uh, Don't Fear the Reaper on drums where people would get stuck on a single song and they wouldn't be able to go through. Right. Uh, and we didn't want people to be you know, frustrated about that stuff. And a lot of the reason tour challenges came about was trying to solve those problems so in tour challenges you can play tour challenges the same way you play solo tour you well almost the same way like you can go through and play the marathons all the way from start to finish and you're playing uh songs start to finish yep. but if you get stuck on a song you can work your way around and you can still play your content and it also scales to downloadable content so it can you can download the pack and then incorporate you know the who pack into your your career and expand that outwards uh there's another one here about why don't we have different track speeds uh, which I, it always comes up like people want to be able to have like a, a easy track speed be slow while someone's uh, has expert track speed on the right, um, and the reason is because we don't want people to throw up. And people may laugh and think I'm just being facetious a little bit, but we actually uh, have a couple of what we call vomit testers in the company, <laughs> and we sit them in front of the game and like when we have like new games coming out and sit them out and uh, see how they react and track speeds like shifting differently, like it causes people to be sick, and we don't want people to be sick. Yeah, it's not a good product if it makes you throw up. No, I mean, it, I mean, it depends on the product, obviously. <laughs> but uh, um, might work at theme parks. Yeah, theme parks is great, <laughs> but in rock band, it's not necessarily that great. And so, like, that's one of the reasons why we we lock track speeds is because we, like, it, it's a serious problem with motion sickness. We don't want people throwing up. And so, right. um, I'm, I'm, you know, and I obviously I hear other games do this. We've we've put those people in front of other games and they've been sick, and that sucks. And like, we don't. I mean, at the end of the day, we could argue about whether it's a modifier or things like that. But at the end of the day, I don't want to ship something that makes people sick. Right. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, gold stars. Yes. Yes. Lots of questions about gold stars. Um, so a little bit of history about why we have gold stars. Uh, it was actually something we uh, were talking about when we were developing Rock Band. We wanted It was kind of like this scale of going from casual to hardcore. Um, we wanted to uh, have six and seven stars for completion. So seven stars would be full combo deploy path amazing kind of thing which was basically stars on fire and then we had six stars which was like another multiplier it's like the way our star system works is that uh there's uh each star is based on uh, an average multiplier that you get through so like if you streak perfectly through the entire song and started off at 4x your multiplier would be 4x and overdrive makes that bigger breaking streak makes that smaller uh and the six the six star uh was essentially another multiplier past five stars. Uh, and then later on, we, we cut the seventh star because it was completely insane. Um, and we had this six star, and we decided instead of being a six star, we should flip it to gold stars. So that when you get to that sixth multiplier mark, uh, 
everything flips to gold stars. Um, which was great in some ways because it, it allowed people to, in, in theory, it allowed people to get more recognition beyond five stars without full comboing. Um, and it allowed us to uh, sort of work out ways to do this that scaled across all the songs. But uh, in practice, like, there's a, a bunch of, like, extra edge cases that can break it, like uh, playing uh, Charlene, for example, like, or, or, like, short songs or long songs or a whole bunch of things can make that fragile. Um, and so in Rock Band 2, we lowered that threshold a little bit to make it easier for people to get gold stars. Um, I mean, one thing I'd like to know from the community is, like, if, if we wanted to change what gold stars is, what would you like it to be? Would you like it to be a multiplier? Would you want it to be 100%? Would you want it to be full combo? Would you want it to be some other crazy mechanic you've thought of? Like, I'd actually be interested to see what the community has to say on it and what they want to see, what they want gold stars to be, essentially. Totally. So you should reply on rockband.com and, and uh, let us know. All right, cool. Well, I think that wraps us up. This is like an hour, so we might split this into two pieces. <laughs> um, Dan Teasdale, thank you so much for sitting down with us and uh, joining us for the Harmonics Podcast. Thank you. Anytime. Welcome to the DLC Roundtable! Yay! This week we have a disturbed three-pack. We have The Meaning of Life, The Game, and their third tune, Voices. We also have two songs by The Mother Hips, Third Floor Story, and White Falcon Fuzz. We have two songs by The Silver Sun Pickups, Panic Switch, and Sort Of, and one song by Trust Company called Downfall. Yay! Thanks for listening to episode 11 of the Harmonics Community Podcast. Remember that you can leave us voicemail messages at our Skype account, hmx.mailbox. Let us know what's on your mind, and your message might even make it onto the show. See you guys next time. Stink face? <laughs> I was talking to DeVron about this. He's a bassist. He said every bassist needs to do a stink face. Really? Yeah. See, I don't even know any of this stuff. <laughs> you're down in the bass line, you just gotta bust out that stink face. Like that? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm making a stink face right now. You can't see it. <laughs> no, we'll have to include a little three-second video. So even when you're not practicing your instrument, though, you can just walk around with your stink face. Okay. So This is for bassists only. So, so practice. Uh, find a song that you're familiar with. Um, and if you're a bassist, work on your stink face. I'm in no way qualified to be giving advice about how to become a musician. <laughs>